0: Welcome to the very first episode of Feckin' Football, the podcast about Feckin' Football. I am your host, Toomey. I will go by my surname only. I will never, ever reveal my first name on this podcast. I like to keep my full identity hidden from certain people who can search this online. Now, there's a bit of paranoia to start this new podcast um so I, this is a pilot episode i am in the phase of throwing uh paint at the wall uh, to use a artist's artist's expression so this is just going to be a podcast about me on my own talking about football um and in the future i might have guests um but for now it's just little old me um an irish man in his mid-30s talking about football somebody who has a lot of opinions on football that he uh, keeps to himself, and somebody who refers to himself in the third person, uh, apparently as well. Uh, this is all very new to me, talking into a microphone on my own. I am part of the Feckin Check-in Podcast Network. Uh, I do another podcast there with my co-host uh, Fergal Trainer who doesn't mind his full name being disclosed. And uh, we have at least 10 listeners. <laughs> um, so here we go uh, with Feckin Football. So. Before we start, I just wanted to to take you through the kind of the mechanics and the thought process of of what goes on when you're thinking about starting a brand new podcast. So the first thing you, you think about is the subject. I am passionate about football. I suppose I played football all my life uh, on a casual level, um, but I've I've watched uh, football all my life, so I, I've and I'd like to think of myself as someone who has opinions on, on football that are better than a lot of the analysts uh, online, such as Jamie Redknapp. <laughs> Sorry, Jamie Redknapp, although you'll never listen to this. Um, so when you decided a subject, that's that's why I wanted to do the, the football because it's something that's, that's interesting to me. It's something that constantly updates. There's always news in football. Um, but then you start quickly thinking, is there a market for this podcast? And I don't know is the answer. <laughs> There's about eight. 85 million uh, football podcasts. Um, so this will be the the an additional one added to that number. So will people listen? I don't know. It's a saturated market. Uh, fuck it. I'm just going to go for it. Or feck it, uh, which would be more online with the brand. And then you think about things like promotion. How would I promote this? Well, I'll just throw it up on social media and see if it spreads like, like wildfire via word of mouth. And then I'll be number one in the podcast charts in 48 hours, obviously. Um, and then I've, I've also touched on that I it's a solo podcast and then the, another thing you have to think about when you start a podcast is how long do you want the episodes to be uh, again I don't have a clear uh, clear kind of uh, um, clear clear what what am I trying to say I don't have a definite answer on this I want this to be flexible uh, like the artist throw and paint uh metaphor again to exhaust that metaphor um and then you think about the frequency how often do i want this podcast to be launched uh the, the news and football is constantly updated and now the matches are spread the, a lot of the matches as you know used to be on a saturday and maybe it would make sense to do your football podcast on a, on a monday to catch up with the the news from the saturday matches but now the matches are like on friday saturday sunday monday tuesday wednesday basically seven days a week And so I'm just going to, again, I'm not going to decide on when it will be uh, launched on a weekly basis. I'm just going to do it at the start, whenever I feel like it. Um, And uh, the tone of the podcast, I don't know. Is it serious? Is it jokey? Is it a bit of both? Who cares? Let's just go for it. Um, I have theme music starting off there. I purchased that online. I'm pretty happy with it. But again, I might change that. Um, And that is enough of that initial Uh, kind of reasoning and rationale for doing this podcast I don't have to explain myself anymore Uh, I've been talking for four minutes and 16 seconds and I'm deliberately not going to edit any of this that's another thing to to mention to you but now let's have a little pause and I'm going to talk to you about how this episode will be structured. This first episode, and maybe the following episodes uh, with Beckham Football, will be structured in the following way. I will start off by reviewing a match, um, and then I will catch up on some other matches that are are of interest to me, and then I'll look at some kind of the the broader world of football as well. So it'll be mainly focused on the English Premier League, because that's the league I follow uh, most closely. Uh, But I'll try and get in some other international football news as well. So, the match I am reviewing this week is Manchester United uh, versus Arsenal, uh, which took place yesterday on Sunday, the 1st of November, no need to put in the date there, uh, but I did anyway, um, and that match, as you know, or maybe don't, but I'm assuming you know that uh, Arsenal won that uh, 1-0, um, and that was the first time in, a, in several years that Arsenal have, have won a match at uh, Old Trafford. Uh, Arsenal tended to have uh, a mental block about going to to Old Trafford. There's been a lot of articles written in the media about this this week that's kind of been a the the narrative that's been pushed that Arsenal couldn't win at Old Trafford. Um they weren't it wasn't in their mentality to go there. Um so it's a big win for Arsenal to kind of um dispel that myth but I guess there's also been the narrative that Man United can't win at Old Trafford and that's been uh, continued this season Man United have yet to win at Old Trafford their home ground uh, in the Premier League which is which is most unusual and um, so uh, so while one kind of psychological block has been eradicated the other has been perpetuated um, so um, I think what's interesting about this match um <clears throat> Was the I suppose the team selections and the form formations? Uh, Arsenal going for their kind of uh, four two whatever three four one uh, two or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> you know the one where they have Aubameyang uh, up on the left. They have Lacazette in the middle, and then they have uh, either William or Pepe on the right wing, and that's kind of their their forward three units. Uh, I think they they put in William. Uh, he seems to be used by Mikel Arteta when the matches are bigger, when he wants a more conserva- conservative approach. Um, and there's kind of, uh, at the back, you kind of, you have Gabriel, the new signing, you have Rob Holding, um, you have Bellerin, um, you have uh, Tierney. So it's a quite, quite a strong backline for Arsenal. Uh, Gabriel is very good uh, compared to some of the previous, absolutely terrible uh, centre-backs that they've had in recent years. <clears throat> Um, I won't name the people, but you know who who they are. Um, And then, and and it's kind of quite a consistent structure in the Arsenal team overall. And also Thomas Partey, the the new signing, settling into midfield very well, which I'll uh, kind of get back to. Um, And then United, um, I've I've just been reading an article there by uh, Michael Cox um, in The Athletic. And he's been talking about how Man United have decided to base their team around a number 10, uh, Bruno Fernandes. Um, And that's probably led them to going with the diamond, which they used in this match, uh, which had Fred at the base of the diamond, and then you had uh, Scotty McTominay, at the right hand side and then you have Paul Pogba on the left and then you had Bruno Fernandes at number 10 at the head of the diamond and as Michael Cox was saying it's the only formation Man United can use that fits um, Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba in their kind of correct or most comfortable positions Um, so so a lot of how Man United play in that system is going to be dictated by how influential Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba are on the match. Um, And again, as Michael Cox was saying, the problem with that is it's great when Fernandes or Pogba do the business, but other managers can see what Man United are doing and they can nullify that quite uh, effectively. So they can block off the middle. And it was evident in this match that that, uh, Bruno Fernandes was not as involved as he usually is. And uh, Pogba, I suppose, was fluting around (laughs) a good bit as well. Um, So the formations were interesting. You kind of had Arsenal with a kind of methodical approach with the high press. um, They've had uh, this approach a long time. Man United have been fluting around with different ways to get Fernandes on the ball as much as possible. Uh, So there was that dynamic. And you could see throughout the match that Arsenal were playing in a much more coherent and structured way. I think they were probably less creative, or, or they're less creative at the moment than other teams that are more fluent, but they kind of have quite a structure in how they pass the ball at different angles and around the pitch, and how they press. They try to press United quite high up the pitch. And that brings us to the United backline. Um, you have um, Luke Shaw, uh, Harry Maguire, Lindelof, and uh, what's his name, winn Bisaka. Sorry, I've gotten his, his name wrong. Uh, apologies, uh, I'm not going to correct that. <laughs> but uh, the problem is uh, with them is that they're not very good. They're not very energetic on the ball. Lindelof and Maguire. Maguire is, I think he he has the wrong body shape, and he's too slow to be a the, the centre back. You want somebody to be like fluid and athletic and move around and fast. Like he's very strong and he's very he's all right defensively, but. You don't I just he's so sluggish bringing the ball out and then Lindelof? I don't know, he's just he's no power, he's no power in his, his physique. He's he's again the wrong physique, he's too small. Uh, he's technically okay, but he plays very safe passes, I think. He doesn't really give you anything. And then if you have like the likes of Fred and McTominay dropping back from midfield to start the play, that is a recipe for I, I don't know, like it's a recipe for boredom, is what it is. and um, they're they're not they're not getting things going and in this match they couldn't get Pogba and Fernandez into the match because it was Fred and McTominay were in those kind of deeper positions, um, so not very good for Man United back there. Luke Shaw is seems a little bit below the required standard for a team that's aspiring to be be in the in the top four. I would say he's he's good. He's good technically. He's, he's steady, reliable. But again, he's a bit sluggish. I think he, <laughs> I don't be really giving out about people's body shape uh, all the time, but he seems a bit overly overweight, maybe. Um, uh, and then when when Bisaka on the other side, uh, very very good defensively, very solid, but he seems to be limited with the ball. So so I think with with that back four and with Arsenal pressing so high. I think that was a recipe for Arsenal to to dominate the game when they didn't have the ball. And that's that's kind of what happened. And then I suppose the question was then, with, with Man United out of sorts and, and not playing through a, a co- coherent system with people dictating the play, it was kind of like, can Arsenal now make their advantage count? Um, and in the first half, they created, I'd say two or three good opportunities. But again, as Arsenal is the problem of too much structure. Um, probably is the, is their issue, without those individual flair players that that create something out of nothing, and um, and that's a deliberate approach by, by the coach uh, Mikhail Arteta. Um, so I guess it was the the question was, will Arsenal make it count? And the first half they didn't, as I said. The second half, they I bet midway through the second half, uh, they fairly lucky. Paul Pogba, 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 Pogba running back, um, and uh, putting a kind of a stupid challenge uh, Hector Bellerin was going nowhere uh, he, he outstretched his leg running back Hector Bellerin was in the box he got there just before Pogba it's the type of thing we've, anyone who's played football has seen a million times you can tell in your head that, that Pogba is not going to get there Bellerin reads that deliberately gets the the uh, touch in just before Pogba slides in and it's a penalty um, and Aubameyang puts it away and um, but I think it's interesting that it took a random event, like a penalty, and an error for Arsenal to make their uh, advantage count. Um, because really, throughout the match, they structurally, they were so dominant. Uh, Man United did change their formation in the second half, and it seemed to stem the tide for the first 10 or 15 minutes. Um, but then Arsenal seemed to regroup. um and just for for United overall. Pogban and Fernandes couldn't get in the game. Rashford was was okay up front, but he didn't get a lot of ball. Greenwood again didn't get a lot of service. So he he always looks bright to me when he has the ball. I like I like him as a player. Um, and I think the substitutions that Soscar made, like like Matic coming on, a uh, defensive midfielder for he came on for Fred. He's not going to change the game. He's he's long as, as John Giles would say, he's a he's a leggy player. Uh he's not very creative. Um he's very efficient in what he does, but he's not going to change the system. <clears throat> um, and then I suppose Cavani and Van der Beek coming on when it was kind of in the latter stages of the match and it was about really for Arsenal hanging on and they didn't really have chance a chance to make a change a, a change in the in the outcome at that stage. Um, so then Arsenal, I suppose it's a good win for Arsenal. They they saw it at the game. They had about seven defenders on at the end. They put up, took off all their attackers and just sat back. They nearly gave it away. There was a deflected shot. uh came in from, uh, I think it was one bissaka It deflected onto an Arsenal defender. And then it hit uh, Bernard Leno. Bernard Leno. Bernard Leno, or whatever his, name, his first name is. Hit him on the forehead. And then... Uh, Hit the post. So again, it could have been a random event, it could have led to that match being a draw very easily. Which again goes back to that thing of, of structurally Arsenal were dominant, but creatively they weren't. Um, so that's it for the for the match review. Quite quite an interesting match. I watched it without the sound on, which I tend to do, and it's kind of a different feel when you're watching the match. It's kind of like watching a cricket match or something. It's kind of it's absorbing in a different way. Um, but it just—I it, think—it feels a bit longer because it's less exciting. <clears throat> I just want to talk about as well the uh, Sky Sports news coverage on this match. Uh, Sky, sorry, sorry, Sky Sports uh, coverage on this match. Um, so, in particular, we had uh, Roy Keane in the studio, and um, I've noticed just from watching uh, Roy Keane, I suppose in the last year in, in particular, but he's always been like this. Is that? He gets quite angry, um, and when you ask him for like a reason why Man United lost that game, he always puts it down to individual players not trying hard enough, enough, not closing down, individual errors, um, and you can see him getting more and more angry. He often says things like that's not what a Man United player does. These players, I wouldn't trust them. There's no, These players aren't leaders. You'll often say things like that. Graeme Souness is a bit like that too. Graeme Souness wasn't on duty yesterday. But it's interesting if you press Roy Keane uh, for tactical insight or his, his kind of idea of why uh, Man United lost the game, he goes back to those individual errors. And I just think that's quite limited because individual errors and... Uh, Effort that people put in is is part of it's part and parcel of football. Like everyone who's played football will see that you're going to make a couple of errors in a match, um, but you're more likely to put to make errors in the match if you're under pressure. So the more pressure you're, on, you're under, the more errors you're likely to make. So when you have the ball, when you're in control, when you know what you're doing, you feel calmer. You're you're under less stress when you have the ball and less stress when you don't have the ball. So, like what I'm trying to say is that. In my opinion, I think it's actually tactical reasons and team selection reasons that are the main factor in Man United losing that match, not the individual errors. So so have a look out there for, for, for Roy Keane. I think anyone who, who challenges him or, or who uh, tries to take the conversation in a different way is brought back to this kind of angry uh, criticising of, of players. So I guess Roy Keane uh, dominated the, um, the analysis, really. He's, he's a very charismatic figure. He's very articulate. Uh, Tim Cahill and Jamie Redknapp. I don't really remember anything that they said. Um, in in comparison to Roy Keane, um, so I think that was interesting. I'll, I'll I'll try and comment on um sports coverage, uh, if I can, uh, when I'm reviewing these matches, um, and then there were just uh some social media um reactions to the match. Uh, the alle out uh hashtag which I'm just Googling here to get some examples. The Ollie out, Oli being Oleg Goller, uh, Solskjaer, <laughs> the uh, Man United um, uh, manager. Uh, he's been there maybe around 18 months and maybe more now. Um, and he hasn't made much progress considering the, the investment in the team. Arguably, uh, a lot of that is down to uh, the lack of support and the lack of... Um, high profile signings like top quality signings that have been made in Man United um, but in the Ole Out uh, uh, hashtag some uh, fans are saying so in response to Man United who tweeted we turn our attention to the to the Champions League uh, Olek has replied no <laughs> Ole Out embarrassment of the club so we just said no We don't turn our attention to that uh, Fat Lad says, After the Leipzig game, I got abused for tweeting Ale out. My response was, my opinion doesn't change after one result. After yesterday's result, I also tweeted it. It had nobody abuse me. Either people only back him when he wins, or they don't back him at all and just do it for clout. Um, then um, Jez says, Has Ole been sacked yet at Man United? Um, and I'll just read out one more. Uh the Man United Way says, Edison Cavani coming on and being played on the left. Van de Beek hardly being played at all since he's arrived. Do you think we are seeing Ole trying to show the fans that the players signed were by the club and not the players he actually wanted? And then Harry responds, no, it's not, it's not. Stop trying to defend him. He's just clueless. Managers get players they didn't originally want all the time, but they make it work. But no, not Ole. He's sending a message. Do me a favour. Ole out. Do me a favor is a expression that i noticed uh roi use uh, i think it's a, it's a shorthand for do me a favor and shut the hell up i think that's what it uh um uh, points towards um so that's man united and arsenal in the bag um how are the teams progressing are they looking for uh the rest of the season i think arsenal are showing uh, signs of progress they're um not in terms of points in the Premier League, but there you can see they're in, on an upward curve because they have a structure and a, a rationale to how they're playing. Uh, they're getting big results away to big six uh, teams at the moment, um, and Arteta has changed their mentality. and And uh, Tom, Thomas Party is an excellent signing. That's that's clear to see. He's he's excellent on the ball. He's excellent tackle. He's athletic. Uh, he's really really good. Um, and uh, Gabriel, the defender, looks looks a great signing as well. So it's it's looking quite promising for Arsenal. Um, not title contenders, obviously. They're just a bit short um, creatively and a bit of steel, I think, they're lacking in different parts of the pitch. Man United, it's really hard to predict because they seem to change from each game to the next. So the last game, uh, they won 5-0 against uh, Leipzig in midweek. And this week, they are uh, absolutely pretty shocking against Arsenal. Um, but again, a lot of that is down to uh, Arsenal nullifying Man United's overdependence on Fernandes and Pogba uh, to be creative. Um, so that's we'll do it for Man United and Arsenal review. I'm going to finish off today's podcast with a kind of a quick rundown of the other matches, and I'll we'll come back to that in a second. Oh, the other uh, Premier League matches that stood out for me over the weekend uh, were Tottenham's 2 uh, 1 victory uh, against uh, who was it? I don't know. And <laughs> oh, Brighton, sorry. I just wanted to talk about this because Gareth Bale got the winner. Uh, and um, so, Gareth Bale, a good signing for Tottenham, coming back to them. But He's always a player that I've never warmed to, uh, and I think the reason why is because he, I think a lot of his abilities are down to his athleticism, and he's just one of those annoying people who can. He's really fast, really strong, and has a good, good, powerful shot. He's not particularly skillful. Again, a takedown of Gareth Bale, but uh, yeah, when I, I am, to, I am happy for him because I think despite all that, he was obviously mistreated at Real Madrid. Uh, not playing for a couple of years and to see him come back and score the goal must be very exciting for the Tottenham fans <laughs> even though the goal it was like little, oh, little header I wasn't I wasn't a big fan of the goal uh, there's something about Gareth Bale sorry but I don't personally uh, warm to uh, so but Tottenham in general looking very good another uh, win that they've ground out uh, they're not very exciting in the matches typical Jose Mourinho really isn't it um, no like no creative dominance in the matches, just very uh, reactive, great on the counter-attack, uh, very good in transitions based on speed and power. Um, but they've improved a huge amount, um, you can see, towards the end of last season in terms of their structure. And um, I think with Sam and Carry Kane in such good form, I think they have a really good chance of getting into the top four. I think everyone just says that, don't they? This team has a chance of getting into the top four. They're going to really challenge for the top four, as if it's a big statement. I guess anyone listening to this can see that Tottenham are going well and they have a chance of getting into the top four. So I suppose best of luck to them and Gareth Bale. Um, Chelsea seem to be gelling. They had another win there over the weekend. Uh, uh, Was it 4-0 or 3-0? They were playing Burnley away, I think. Um so yeah, it's good for them to see that their players like uh Werner and <laughs> can't pronounce his name. And uh the different players that they bought uh over the su- over the summer are beginning to gel, so they're dangerous. Again, a bit like Man United though, they don't really have a good structure uh in their team or style of play as of yet. Um, but they just have sheer quality in the players that they're gonna be a a challenge uh, for any team um uh city grinding it out jesus yes. city match against sheffield united i turned on the last five minutes of this and it was the most boring oh god it was so boring like sheffield united just can't create anything they're trying to lump it forward or they're they're trying to keep possession at the back you just know that sheffield united are not going to be able to get the goal against Manchester City. And Manchester City are just switched off. Then at that stage, I mean, switched off in terms of, of wanting to score more goals. They just want to close out the game. And it's just such a soulless end of a game. This Man City, this big giant of a club financed from the Middle East, yeah. always soulless to me. Uh, watching Man City, I just they, they do play nice football and they've some really good players, but just. There's just something, it just saps the soul out of you watching Man City. And for me, Chelsea is the same as well. Um, so, I uh, just want to touch on Liverpool. Uh, 2-1 victory they had over the weekend. Um, just on them, they, their matches recently uh, they're um, they're less comprehensive in their victories in recent weeks. It's always 2-1 or they get a late goal from Salah or a penalty. So they're a bit shaky. Obviously they've lost Van Dijk. Um so it'll be interesting to see uh, how the league developed over the next few months. I think Liverpool depend on high energy and that high press and that really intense kind of energy that they put into the game. I think I said energy twice there in quick succession. <laughs> but uh, that's what they're based on. And there's there's so many matches that, that are being played due to the rescheduling of fixtures due to the coronavirus. So I think in around December, January, February, we could see them um Perhaps losing a bit of uh, that energy uh, but but we don't know and then the, the final match from the Premier League I wanted to just uh, mention was Southampton versus Villa uh, 4-3 to Southampton uh, against Aston Villa um, Southampton 4-0 up I think um, and then Villa coming back into it and getting a late goal to, so it was, it was a 4-3 but it wasn't a close 4-3 and um, and Southampton scoring some excellent goals in this match. Two goal, two free kicks from James Ward-Prowse, um, somebody who is great at free kicks and penalties. Um, and there's a lot of hope for him as a as a, as a English player in his mid twenties now. He hasn't really progressed on to the next level of being a standout Premier League player, but he does have a great free kick in him, and he just he makes it look easy. Um, he has that kind of David Beckham style with the free kicks where you know exactly what he's doing and where it's going. but he just executes it so well. So even though you, you know it's coming, you can't stop it. Um, so that, that was excellent. And um, the uh, the guy up front, uh, what's his name? You know, the guy up front, Fletcher, is it? Is his name? Whatever his name is, uh, you know his name, uh, doing really well. He used to play for, oh, Danny Ings, that's it. Sorry, Danny Ings. Uh, Another great goal. He's looking like a world class striker. It's just amazing what can happen when you take somebody out of somewhere like Liverpool that doesn't suit him, um, and then they start performing. Um, well, he did very well with Burnley before he went to Liverpool, um, and now with Southampton, he's just he's looking great. Um, so, so that's um, that's the, the kind of the rest of the Premier League wrap up. Uh, for this episode in the other leagues in Serie A I just want to Serie A Serie A uh, just to, it's worth mentioning how well that um, Zlatan Ibrahimovic is doing the sort of 39 year old uh, striker uh, arrogant striker but also backs up everything he does and he, he scored another brilliant goal over the weekend. It was an overhead kick. It looked like to me like his foot went right beside someone's head. It was dangerous play. But they let that away when it's a goal or a bicycle kick, which arguably is the correct thing to do. Um, But he's scoring with great frequencies. His scoring rate in in Milan is is amazing. And for him to be the, he seems to be the leader of Milan at age 39. Um, He even has recovered from uh, the coronavirus recently. Um, and he scored recently against Shamrock Rovers in uh, Tallaght Stadium so he can even go to the, the pantheons of uh, European football and still score uh, I mean that in a good way I, I have a soft uh, spot for League of Ireland football even though I don't really follow it that much I'd like to think that I support it uh, but it's something I want to maybe develop more uh, with guest's help during the, the course of this podcast um, so Zlatan doing well and um, in Spain, La Liga, it just seems that the Barcelona and Real Madrid seem a shells of teams that they were. I mean, Real Madrid uh, they won four one over the weekend against Huesca. Uh, Eden Hazard getting a great goal with his uh, I think it was his left foot um, from about thirty meters out, um, thirty yards out. Um, why do we use yards and the and that system in, in football i suppose because we're dictated by the the british analysis uh so 30 yards out um but again a kind of a fairly mundane uh victory over a team that's not going to pose a challenge to them um not a very exciting team real madrid at the moment to me barcelona even worse they couldn't uh beat alavez over the weekend Uh, Messi, as um, most people would know, once out of Barcelona. There's a lack of um, athleticism and youth and strength and bravery in the Barcelona team. There's people not trying hard enough. They're phoning in most of their games. They don't have good tactics. They have a second-rate manager, Ronald Koeman. Messi is in slight decline. He doesn't have that burst of energy that he has, but he's still doing quite well. Griezmann is looking still off the pace, doesn't fit in Barcelona, probably doesn't fit with with Messi is the issue Um, and they have a lot of players who um, are either too old or players who are not quite at the level uh, of Barcelona where in the past um, one promising young player is Pedri who seems to have the look of a young uh, Xavi or him. but I suppose it will take him a few years to develop I, I can't see Barcelona winning the Champions League with the the lack of uh, pace and power in their team the lack and the lack of tactical, um, a, a coherent tactical system. Um, and one thing I've noticed watching Barcelona, they don't like to play on the counter-attack. Uh, they deliberately sometimes wait for the other team to come back, get in position so they can restart their process. Um, and that was all very well and good when Guardiola, Guardiola was there and they had the best midfield probably of the last uh, 50 years in uh, Xavi and Iniesta. Um, and then you had Messi in his prime uh, ahead of them. Um, but that is no longer the case. Um, so you need to... Football now is much more about pressing and the transitions and the counter-attack and the speed and the power and they just don't have that. And they're, they're, uh, they're being left behind at the moment. Um, that's about it. I, I wish I had something to say about the League of Ireland. It seems to be coming to... Uh, uh, quite a competitive ending. I want to look into that a bit more with maybe uh, a guest slot. Um, I d- I'm not really following it. I want to just mention maybe Dundalk um, put up a good show against Arsenal. Unbelievably, though, they didn't make a, f- a single foul against Arsenal in the in the entire match. Um, and what is also interesting is that they were taking uh, their main players off. Uh, uh, like Shields in midfield, he was a, a tidy Lee Carlsley <laughs> type of player. Um, they took him off. Uh, he's one of their main guys, um, and they weren't really trying. So it's funny how like like Dundalk was such a celebration to get into the Europa League, but then when you get there against Arsenal, you're like, okay, we've got a FAI Cup match uh, at the weekend. I think it was, and we're going to start resting uh, or resting players. Uh, I didn't actually see how they got on. Uh, at the weekend, I'm just gonna uh, check this now live. Um, so they, oh no, sorry, it wasn't it wasn't the FAI Cup. What am I talking about? It was the League of Ireland Premier Division match. Uh, they had against St Patrick's Athletic. It was one all. So they were resting um, some of their players <laughs> against Arsenal for that. Uh, just funny. Um, Let's have a quick look at the F uh, League of Ireland table. Shamrock um, Rovers. Oh, they're actually way further ahead than I thought they would be. I was only, I've only been casually looking in and out of League of Ireland, uh, but Shamrock Rovers. Yeah, they're on forty-one points. They've two games in hand from Bohemians in second place. Shamrock um, Rovers have won their last five games. Um, so yeah, Shamrock I, I, Rovers playing some good football. Uh, um, from what I've seen, the little bits I've seen, I'm. I'm I'm really looking forward to, to seeing them um, when the COVID uh, restrictions are are lifted. Um, getting that live football field, um, they're a pretty local team to me uh, in Dublin. Um, so, just to, t- to touch on that, and finally, and nothing to do with fucking football, but Jesus, the Arsenal or sorry, the <laughs> Jesus the Irish uh, rugby team was shocking there against uh, France. They had a chance to win the Six Nations in the last match, and uh, we knew we had to score four tries or else win by seven points in advance of the match to win the, the league table in the Six Nations. And we managed to lose by about 15 points. <laughs> um, so this team lets you down again and again, again and again and again, um, and again, uh, Sometimes you get fed up with football and you switch over to the rugby. But I don't know if I can take much more of that uh, rugby team at the moment. They've done they've done fantastic in the past with the different Six Nations wins. It's been brilliant actually, and Leinster have been brilliant in the rugby. But I can only I can only ever be a casual rugby fan um, because the the game itself is not uh, fulfilling to me. It's not as enjoyable as as football. Um, I only really liked watching it when Ireland were doing well and where Ireland were were winning. I was really kind of proud of Ireland for for all that they did, but um, not, that's not the case at the moment. So that makes me not want to watch rugby anymore and to stick with Feck and football. And that note, as Feck and football ends by talking about rugby. Who would have thought it? Um, thank you very very much for listening. This is episode one, the pilot. Um, I'm going to have a Twitter account up. I don't have it right now, but I'm going to put one up. Um, comment on that, follow or whatever, subscribe, Instagram, shite, uh, rate the podcast, all that crap. Um, I'm going to be launching this, launching this episode today on Monday, the 2nd of November, which you don't need to know. But anyway, it's some sort of conclusion. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed at least some of this podcast. Take care.